Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer, assistant to the special assistant to the Washington Nationals. Uh, spent a lifetime in baseball, and this is Touch Them All with Bob Schaefer. Episode 234 right now on our network. We're climbing. And before we uh, bring Bob in, just want to thank our 21,000 subscribers, but after today or tomorrow, we get our Spotify numbers. We should be up over 40,000 subscribers. So we're exciting things happening here on the network. We appreciate our audience support. Keep doing what you're doing and we can keep bringing you great content like we do every week with our shows, specifically here on Touch Em All with, with Bob. So Bob, with that, uh, welcome back to your show here. All right. Thanks. Good to be back again. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot. We got a lot of great feedback. As I said in our last show, we have over 900 college coaches that subscribe to our our podcast here and uh, thousands of high school baseball coaches, youth coaches throughout the country. And they've really grabbed on to your your segments because it's they, they feel like it's almost like a tutelage. They're taking a class each time on baseball and they're adding things to their practice, their instruction, their their game strategies. Um, and, I, and I am, too. Uh, I told you, I, I love if, if the show is only an audience of one and it's me, I'm happy but um, I think our audience is very sophisticated and smart, and they appreciate what you bring to the table. So uh, you know, I know we've got a couple topics on hand today. Um, you know, we talked last last time about we had a week off, but talked about uh, we we're going to mention and get into depth about sliding. I know we're not a, a visual show or audio, so we'll have to be detailed as you usually are. And had some questions about practice special situations like bunt situations, first and thirds, whatnot, and um, and also. Got a question about, and I don't know how much you know about this. I did some research on it. Billy Martin's double steals. They wanted to talk about double steals and how to use them. And we had a repeat question on um, when to bring the infield in um, in game situations. So um, we got, we, and we have plenty more. Um, I get hit with hundreds on your stuff. So um, where would you want to start? Sliding an okay place to start with you today? Yeah, that's fine. Wherever, whatever you think is best. You want to answer yeah. the questions first or? Yeah, I think we'll slide look- <laughs> Let's get, let's get into uh, sliding first. We've been teasing the audience for a couple weeks on that. And, you know, it's a, it's a lost art now. I see it in major league games. Guys don't know how to slide anymore. I'm watching, you know, youth and grassroots practices. They don't teach sliding. Um, so what, what, why would we think guys, when they get to the older ages, can, can figure it out? Um, I mean, can, can you break it down for us? Well, first of all, uh, you know, watching major league games, there's very few good sliders. And I think sliding, sliding is probably the worst skill in the game, worse than bunting. And uh, I don't know who teaches it, how much they teach it, but a lot of players are diving now into bases, and diving is very dangerous. You, know, you can break a finger, you can jam a wrist, you can jam a shoulder, you can even hit your head on an infielder's knee. A lot of infielders now, if they know you're a diver, will drop the leg in front of the base, which makes it more dangerous. And uh, diving is, you know, you know, sliding or diving is a controlled stop. So diving is no faster than sliding feet first. Uh, some guys that dive, they dive late, so they might get there a little bit quicker, but they slide past the base because they have nothing to stop themselves with. They try to hook their toes onto the base, they go flying by, but I've seen several get, you know, tagged out because they overslid the base, and, you know, that's just careless baseball for me. But uh you know, a lot of guys wear the oven glove now, which I think that's almost illegal because the oven glove is you know, a little longer than your fingers. Um, you know, diving in the first base should never be done unless you're trying to avoid a tag, but even then you're better off sliding feet first. 
So I just think that if you're a diver, you should probably learn how to uh, slide feet first. And it's really not that difficult to learn it. Uh, once in a while, you might get a strawberry, you know, because you land wrong and so forth. But uh, after I get rid of diving, what I like to do is, uh, you know, talk about the way you start to slide. I mean, every slide starts with a uh, bent leg straight in. There's four different slides we're going to talk about. Uh, bent leg straight in is uh, you have the, the player sit down and bend whatever leg, say you bend the left leg and you put it 90 degree angle to your top leg, which is your right leg. And the knee should be a 90 degree angle. And that's the, the bent leg. And uh, when you just, then you go over to the other side, say you start on your left side, then you go to your right leg underneath. And whatever feels most comfortable, that's the side you should slide on. Now, not everybody can slide on both sides. I can only slide on my left side. It's tough to slide both sides. If I had to slide on my right leg, I probably would have broke it about the first time I tried it. But some people can do it. So if you can do it, that's even more advantageous. But there's a way of getting around that if you can only slide on one side. So to, uh, to start with, once you get yourself in that position, you put your top leg up, which would be your right leg if you're sliding on the left side. Your right leg goes in the air. And not to uh, spike anybody, but you get it up in the air when you land so you don't dig it into the ground. Your spikes dig into the ground, maybe twist your ankle. So you make contact with the ground with your lower leg, your shin, and you land like an airplane, not like a helicopter. So as you're going to slide, you throw your feet out, your lower leg hits the ground, then you transfer your weight backwards to your hip and your rear end. And your front leg, like I said, is up in the air. Now, as you get to the base, you drop your front leg down and you hit the base with your front heel. And then your knee gives, it's like a shock absorber. That's what stops you. So you slide in. Um, like I said, you land like an airplane. You throw your legs out, bent leg. And it's important when you bend your leg, your, your lower leg, that your, uh, and your leg is right angles. You don't want to get your ankle underneath your butt because then your knee digs in into the ground and you can get hurt. All right, so now best way to learn how to slide is on wet grass. <clears throat> I've seen guys go to like uh, pits, you know, uh, sand pits or sawdust or whatever like that. But you really don't get the feel of sliding when you hit and stop. So what we used to do all the time, and even if I had a little downward slope, it's even better. But we used to water the grass, get some thick grass, and you slide off that. You know, put another pair of pants on, take your shoes off so you don't ruin your pants. I mean, because you're going to get grass stains and your mother might not get, might not like it, a clubhouse guy or whatever. So we used to get an old pair of pants and just put those over top of your pants. All right, so what you do is you uh, you start like just almost walking into it. Just put your hand down and walk into it so you get the feel of putting your legs down, getting your legs out there. Once you feel that, now you can back up and go about half speed and go down, hit that wet grass. And, uh, you know, the bottom leg, like I said, you make contact with your, your uh, shin, bottom shin or your bottom leg shin, and your front leg is up in the air. Another thing is, you have to keep your shoulders square. You don't want to roll over. A lot of guys, you see guys, the biggest mistake they make is that they lean and they roll over and they're going sideways into the base. You got to go into the base square, square to the base. It's the quickest way. And your front leg, like I said, your knee is straight. It's up in the air. Your leg's up in the air. And then you drop it down onto the front of the base and you hit it with your heel and your heel kind of absorbs the base and your, uh, your knee becomes like a shock absorber. Okay, so now once you get that down, and that's the quickest way to the base, sliding straight in, bent leg. Now, once you see you're going to be safe, you're going to use a pop-up slide. And a pop-up slide is the same thing, only when you get to the base, 
you kind of lean forward and get onto your front leg or your top leg and stand on a base and be ready to go to another base if the ball is thrown wildly or is bobbled or whatever. So you get the same technique, kind of straight leg, I mean, bent leg straight in and the pop-up slide. Um, another thing is the next slide you're going to use is a hook slide. Now, I've seen guys use you know, try to slide, hook slide, and what happens is they, uh, you know, they, they do like a split or something. You get one leg going one way, the other leg going the other way. But a hook slide is the same as a bent leg slide, same technique. The only thing is, if you say you're going to slide on your left side, you start probably a body length, maybe longer, to the left of the base. So you go to bent leg slide straight in. As you get to the base, you drop your front leg back and you hook the front of the base at the corner of the base where you're, you're in step. And a hook slide is used to get away from a tag. So say you're going from second to third, a ball coming in from left center field or left field even, and the third base is going to you know, catch the ball and tag you. If you hook slide into third base, he doesn't have much to tag. He has, you know, he can only, you know, you just leg your, I mean, your ankle is the only thing that, you know, you give him to slide, to tag with. And you hook that onto the base and you can stay right there. It'll, it'll stop you. It'll stop yourself right there. But when you hook slide, you don't want to go straight in and hook slide because then you get the, the, the tag man, your whole body to tag or your whole leg to tag. So make sure you go like one full body length to the side that you're sliding and drop your front leg down and, you know, just hook it with the, your top leg. And you're trying to slide by the bag in that case, right? More or less. Yeah. You might start a little bit later in that. You just slide, you know, you're just giving them a small target to tag basically. And uh, again, you don't see that very often, unfortunately, but some guys don't really know how to do it. But again, like I said before, it's very important that you go square with your shoulders. Otherwise, if you roll, you're going to roll over and you're going to be all, all kinds of problems there. So it's a little bit tough to, uh, get used to going square without rolling, but you get your hands in the air so your hands don't get jammed in the ground. Your shoulders are square, and you go square into the base. And like I said, hook side, you go a little bit left if you're left footed, right? and uh, hook the base with your right foot, which is your top leg. Hey, talk about the hands for a second because that, that's an important component. I, I, I uh, you know, I see all these oven mitts. They didn't have those back when I played. I, I don't uh, know why they wear them right now if they have their hands properly. Um, maneuvered but talk about the hands you said hands high how should your hands be you know fingers spread fist um why hands high well again you don't want to jam them to the ground a lot of players will grab a handful of dirt and hold the dirt so that their hands are clenched so your fingers aren't exposed but uh the biggest problem i have is the guy gets on the side he rolls over too much then your hands are you know on the ground or one hand's on the ground anyway but i would say you know just keep your hands clenched so your fingers aren't expose and drag it into the dirt or whatever. But again, the most important thing is to try to do it where you're square, square to the ground. It's, it's a little bit difficult to do it at first, but the more you practice it, you can get it. But again, the wet grass is where you learn how to slide because you learn, you get to a point of actually sliding to feel the sliding. And when you hit the wet grass, if you lean back, you'll slide farther. And we used to have a little contest when we were teaching sliding, you know, who can slide the farthest? We draw a line, you, you know, put a glove down, you know, start your slide here and who can go the farthest? And that gives me really a good feel of sliding on the ground. And then we practice a uh, pop-up slide, do the same thing, just lean forward as your right foot hits the base and just stand up and pop up. Yeah. So, Stuff that now, you don't see a lot of, but uh, what, what was your next, your next, next slide? The last one is the uh, backdoor slide. You never see that happen very often. 
Uh, Bryce Harper the other night was tagged out, slid home. Maybe it was a bad slide. But a backdoor slide is, okay, I'm sliding on my left side again. I'm coming in. You're going toward the catcher. You veer off to the right. Where the catcher catch the ball is kind of coming down to the plate. You're just looking for you. And you go around him. You slide back. You start a little later. You slide past home plate. You flip over onto your left side and touch the plate with your right hand. So there's nothing for the catcher really to, to tag. And like the other day, Harper came home and he hustled all the way. But he left his, you know, left side of his body was exposed and the catcher tagged him. But if he had gone a little bit farther to the right, he could have flipped over and touched the uh, home plate as he went by. Now, one thing about home plate, all you do is touch it. The other base, you have to touch it and stay on. So it's important. It's a little different. So home plate's a little bit easier, not a lot of ways. But, you know, never any Harper Quinn slide on his right side. He would have done a hook slide, which is, like I said, it's not bad. Even some guys who can't slide on both sides, they, they'll do a you know, slide to the right and then touch with the left hand. But when you're going home like that, you're better off sliding and do a backdoor slide. And, uh, you know, you go past the base or past home plate, and you flip over and touch it with your opposite hand, which would be your right hand. So it doesn't give any any kind of uh, body thing or anything for the catcher to, to tag because he's usually getting the ball and bang, he's just aiming for coming down on top of the plate or to the plate. And if you're around him, he can't tag it. Now, I, I noticed you didn't talk about head first slide. What's your thoughts on the head first slide? The old Pete Rose, Ricky Henderson. Well, like I said, the diving diving head first to me is dangerous. I mean, some guys do it. Some guys think it's quicker. It's, I don't think it's quicker. You know, unless you you know start your slide on top of the base and you slide past the base or you hurt yourself. But I think a good sliders, and you watch you know, a major league baseball game, and some guys are really good feet-first sliders. And it really stands out because another thing, if you're going to be safe, you can pop up and take off to the next base right away. Or if you dive, it's going to take a little longer to stand up and go to the next base. But, you know, a lot of players, players have been hurt, major league players have been hurt recently or in the past from diving. Like I said, fingers, wrists, uh, even elbows. You know, some guys get you know knocked out because they run into the uh, tag man's uh, knee and everything. So I just think that you should learn how to slide feet first. And it's not that difficult if you learn how to slide. Like I said, wet grass is the best way to learn. You just practice the techniques of getting used to it. And then, of course, when you get on dirt, you know you got to kind of judge when you have to start your slide so that you don't slide too soon, you don't reach the base, you don't slide too late, and you go through the base. You should never hit the base with your bottom left knee, your bottom knee that is, is bent, because that's where you get hurt too. So you got to slide before that, and your your top leg, like I said, is a shock absorber, and that's what stops you and controls you. No, I like that. Any, um, you know, what about in the first base? I know uh, you, you see <laughs> plays at the first base where the first baseman is brought off the bag, um, I think running through the bag is faster, but if they're brought off the bag and you've got to make some, you've got to kind of avert the tag, so to speak. What's, what's, what's the time to slide at first base? If well, any- that's the only time you should slide in the first is when the you know, the first base is going to tag you or he's going to run into you. So there's one time you're going to slide. Hopefully the first base coach will help you. And, you know, actually when you're running down the line, you can actually watch the first baseman if he's coming into the line or going to, you're going to tag you, then you got to slide. Um, in that case, I would still try to do a, a bent leg slide. But the same token, if you, if you want to dive and get out of the way, um, it's an instinct. It's, it's tough to say what you want to do, but you can't run into a tag. you got to slide, you know, especially like a high throw, where he's got to jump and get it and then come down and try to tag you. So that's one time you slide into first base. But like I said before, running through the base is a whole lot faster than sliding. 
like I said, sliding is a controlled stop. So if you slow down by sliding, it takes you longer to get the first base and if you run straight through the base. Yeah. Well, um, the next topic that, uh, and that was great. I mean, we're not a visual show, but I think the way you use words, our audience got a clear picture of what they need to do. And at young ages, if they're not teaching it at your little league practice or your grassroots practice as moms and dads out there, grab on to what Bob's saying. Maybe we can put some pictures up on social, some videos and um, get teach your kids how to do this the right way. It's, it's a lost art. It's not being coached or taught anymore. Um, so the, yeah. the next question our audience well, what, was asking. Dave, uh, one thing, I had a baseball school when I was uh, still teaching school in the summertime. And the first thing we taught the kids, they're like anywhere from 8 to 12, no, 8 to 14 years old, I guess. We taught them how to slide. That was the first thing we taught them. And they all learned how to do it. I mean, they got the feel of it. And even sometimes you got to, you know, pull the guy's top leg and let him feel like, you know, like slide on his, on his bottom leg. But they all learned how to do it because they taught the proper technique and they loved it. They went home that night and said, hey, Dad, I know how to slide. <laughs> so it's very easy to teach, but you got to have the right situation to teach it in, like I said, wet grass and uh, old pants and no shoes on. Yeah, no shoes. I like that. Um, when that next topic that our audience was interested in, they have a few today. Having a ton today, but we, we can't cover all 100 of them that they, they post there. But we had some coaches wanting to talk about special situations in practice. And I asked them to be specific. So, you know, they're, they they see a lot of the, these crazy things at the younger levels where guys get on first base and they steal, steal, steal second, steal third. Um, so I, I made a little list, um, and you can touch on one or two or all of them if you want. But are there ways that you would work on things like, holding runners on, you know, pitcher and positional um, communication, uh, coordination. Are there ways you would work on, you know, bunt defense and bunt offense, first and third um, situations, whether that's first and third safety squeeze. We talked about that the last time. Or first and third, the traditional sense, straight steal, delayed steal, early steal. Um, How did you incorporate, and if there's others, how did you incorporate special situations into your practice? And what are some that you worked on? Well, we all said, you know, just there's a way to defense a double steal. Uh, there's different plays. Uh, you know, nowadays you watch the big leaguers, you very rarely see the catcher thrown through to second base, especially the guy in third is a tying run or maybe go ahead run. In the old days, they threw through all the time, but it's a little easier to get a jump now. So a lot of times the runner's going to be safe and there's no sense throwing it, it's going to be safe. But you played it, there's a few plays we use defensively first and third. You know, the first one was throw the runner out of second. In that case there, we got the second baseman or the shortstop who's ever covering the base. That's the only time you want him in front of the base to catch the ball. Normally you want this, the tag man, shortstop, or second baseman, and a guy stealing second is to straddle, straddle the base and catch the ball and bring it straight down to the base. But with first and third, you want to have him a little bit in front of the base. So when he catches the ball, if the guy in third takes off, he can you know come up, catch the ball as the ball's coming towards you, grow up and throw home. And usually the off-end fielder will call a play. Say, there he goes, there he goes. Although, as a shortstop, as a second baseman, you know, you, you can see the runner out of the corner of your eye if he's going to go or not. So that's one thing, you cut it off. But to me, that number one play, you throw through, and if you tag him out, and a lot of times first and third with two outs, which most teams do with two outs, you tag him out, the inning's over. So that's the first defense. The second one we call a chin play. And that's where the shortstop... And when a guy in third base, when he's, when a guy in second, I mean, first steals second, 
the guy in third, he'll go once he sees the ball by the pitcher. So what we used to use a chin play, and it was a cardinal play, is a catcher comes up and he throws the ball right to the shortstop who's coming straight directly at the hitter. And the runner on third, he sees the ball go by the pitcher. He doesn't know really where it's going, but he knows the pitcher's not going to cut it off. It's not going to go to second base. So you throw the ball right to the shortstop. He comes in, and you get the guy off third. He's going to run down, or you can just, you know, dead duck it, dead duck it home or whatever. But that that's a good play you can use, like, late in the game, uh, two outs when they use that first and third double steal most often. And uh, I don't like using it with a second baseman because it's a tough throw for the catcher to throw to the second baseman where you can throw the shortstop a lot easier because he's kind of closed up and everything. So that's another play. The other play is like, you know, fake throw to second, try to get the guy off third, and the yellow just pick the guy off third. But uh, again, you got to know the situation. You have to know the team. You got to know the runners and who might do what and so forth. But the big key in defending the first and third is to anticipate it. Catcher should come out, and we used to call a play. Sometimes we call no play or just dummy play. We put up signs but didn't mean anything because we'd throw through. So – Again, prevents easy and curing. So once you you know alert the infielders that you know this might happen, and then you go through your play and go from there. But a good catcher will see it, and if the guy has a big jump at first base, of course he can't throw. Uh, no, no sense making an unnecessary throw. But again, a lot of people wanted to catch a fake a throw, but I think that's a little dangerous because sometimes the ball slips off out of his hand. Um, but you know, I think it's just a matter of, you know, knowing the situation, knowing the inning, knowing the score and so forth, and then anticipate it's going to happen and then put one of those plays on. Yeah, I like that cardinal play. That's because uh, it's a tough it's a tough angle for the third baseman or the runner on third to determine, you know, is the ball going by the pitcher at a straight line? They're just reacting. Not a lot of time on that. So um, and when, when would you use that one again? Cardinal play said late in the game. Well, the chin play, we call it, the reason we call it chin play is because uh, when the catcher, you know, comes down in front of home plate and puts a number on or whatever play on, or, you know, puts a signal on, the shortstop goes to his chin, and that's that's why it's called a chin play. But uh, that would be a time when, you know, the winning runs on third or the go-ahead runs on third. You don't want the guy to, you know, to, you know have a double steal. And usually it's late in the game, eighth, ninth inning. You just come up and throw the ball right to shortstop, and hopefully you get the guy off third, you know, cheating. Wanting to go, and you can get him out easily. So it's late in the game, basically a two-out play. Yeah. And um, a couple of we'll cover cover maybe one or two other special situations. How did you work on? Let's say uh, I know we talked a little bit of holding runners with guys on second. I like that. Um, I hope our audience goes back and listens to that. What about bunt defenses? How did you how did you work on bunt defense and bunt offense in practice collectively? And I'll give you what we do. We do a thing called two strike bunting. So we put our, our runners on base in the situations we want to work on so the defense can mimic the situation. And we put a lot of pressure on our bunter called two-strike bunting. So that way, if they don't bunt it down, moves moves the drill along more quickly um, and they're out. Um, so it puts that pressure on. They've got to get the, they've got to get the job done. So some, what, what are some, how did you incorporate bunting into practice and defense, offense and defense? Well, first of all, as much of game speed you can use, you have to use it. I mean, a lot of times you roll a ball out and stuff like that, but uh, we like to everything game speed. So we put a hitter up there, put a pitcher on the mound, maybe a coach on the mound. Okay, you got to bunt him to second. If we're running out first and second, you got you know bunt the ball to third. So you know most of the time, man on first, you want to bunt the ball to first. So we would do it like runners on, 
and uh, pitcher would pitch, and favorite coach probably more or easily doing it that way. And coach cheats up and you know up a little bit. You put a pitcher in front of him who's going to feel the ball if it's bunted that way. So the pitcher doesn't doesn't pitch, but the coach pitches and the pitcher feels, and you get third baseman, first baseman. And you run at full speed, and the runners have to react to the bunt. Once in a while, we'll throw a bunt in the air so the runners aren't cheating, and I have to get back. And you try to make it a game speed. And another drill I used to do, was a, it was a fun drill. We picked teams, like four four pitchers on a team. And what we do, we have a, a pitcher on the mound. I put him in front of the mound, like on the grass there, right in front of the mound. Another pitcher at third, another pitcher at first. And another pitcher taking the, the throws. We moved up the base in foul territory where the runner had to run to. So uh, we don't want anybody getting hit with a ball. So what we do is that we have two teams <clears throat> play against each other. <clears throat> and the pitcher, one pitcher be up, you roll the ball out. You roll the ball out and you run like hell at first, try to beat it out. And the, the uh, pitcher who's playing third base now comes in, feels it. Pitcher playing first base, feels it. And the other pitcher covers first or whatever. Just So it's a bunt defense, but it's full speed. It's a hell of a conditioning drill also because the guys who run in the first base after a while they're sucking wind but you know they play some guys said you know they, they put a little spin on the ball and everything else and but the problem with bunt defense in regular game is a lot of times the pitcher will panic because the guy's running he's not used to a guy running so if you have him running it, it makes it a lot more realistic and uh and a lot of times you see the pfp would you know, do the bunt drills and you know coach might hit a you know come back or might get you know a bunt and they go, you know, half-heartedly. They go after it, and it's not game speed. So game speed is most important. And work on proper technique. When you feel the bunt, you bring it to your chest, crow hop, and throw with a little short arm action. But uh, you also practice that tweener play, where the ball's between the third and first baseman and the pitcher. And the pitcher, we always tell the pitcher, you got to go toward the base. If you catch the ball, fine. If not, just keep going. The first baseman reads the pitcher, and if he gets by the pitcher, he goes and feels it and flips it back to the pitcher covering first base. But all this stuff has to be practiced. I mean, it's something that's it's not automatic. I mean, it needs practice. And uh, the more they get familiar with doing it when the game starts, they're more uh, likely to execute the, the uh, defense the right way. No, that, that makes sense. Was there any uh, particular bunt situation that, you know, wasn't a standard one like first or first and second? Any particular one that caused you angst as a coach defensively when you saw – you knew like, oh boy, this one, like you mentioned first and third safety squeezes one you like to, to agitate a little bit on when you were on offense. Um, I used it in our tournament, by the way. Thank you for that one. You got us a yeah. run. Well, that was Don Zimmer's, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of teams have used it and it's almost like it's tough to defend against. But uh, yeah, we used to have like, well, when I managed in my own leagues, we had like three bunt plays, four maybe, you know, regular play. And the one I liked a lot was with a third baseman cheat in and sort of got a second. And uh, another one, you know, we had a wheel play. But, you know, very rarely did I do anything but the number one play where you just, you know, if the guy makes a good bunt, just get you out of first base. Makes a bad bunt, the pitcher can force him out of third, and maybe the first baseman can force him at third. And if you put the other play on, we cheat the third baseman in. Hopefully we get the runner second base so we still have the uh, double play in order with runners on first and third rather than second and third. But, again, you know, you, you, sometimes you put too many plays on, yeah, it starts with a signal from the, the catcher puts on a sign. But, you know, with a wheel play, the shortstop's got to get the sign right. Second baseman's got to get the sign right. Third baseman's got to get the sign right. And if they don't get it right, then you got chaos. 
And uh, again, with the way the game is now, without the pitcher hitting, there's no sure thing. There's no sure bunt situation like there used to be when the pitcher was hitting. Yeah. I'm very big on, you know, there's two schools of thought, I guess, with coaching any sport. There's either surprise and change or simplicity and execution. I tend to fall in the latter. I, I prefer simplicity and execution as opposed to too many things that you don't do well on that. Well, we had, we, we had a, a, an audience member ask a question. We had Billy Martin Jr. on one of our earlier shows way, way back. And I got him talking about his relationship with Tony La Russa and how, uh, that, you know, Billy Martin Sr., had uh, kind of tutored him in terms of the, 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 I guess the unorthodox base running, base stealing that he would do to put pressure on defenses, and said he had seven different double steals, and uh, he would, Billy, Billy Junior wouldn't tell me what they were, um, and he said Tony Larusa is still figuring them out, and he's been with his, you know, his dad's past obviously, but then been a part of that lineage for a long time, so. Double steals right now. I mean, and, and I don't expect to go through seven because I don't even know the seven. But um, what are some double steal situations that you like? You used? Um, how did you use them? You know, anything you want to share with our audience? Well, double steal. You're talking first and third, basically. Um, and a double steal, first and third, uh, it's all set up by the, the base runners. Whenever a pitcher throws to first base to pick off the runner first with another runner third. The runner third should dart like he's going home. Make the first baseman come up and catch the ball so he can't tag the guy at first. So that's one thing. Now, I don't see it happening very often, but like I said, anytime a pitcher picks off at first, the runner third should, you know, take a false, you know, like he's going to steal home. And that makes him cut it off. Um, there's a routine play, and, you know, it's first and third with uh, two outs. You go, and if you, you can't get tagged out, so when, if the catcher slows through, and you're going to be out, you got to retreat and get in a rundown so the runner on third can score. So that's another one. And uh, the other one, the double steal user, we call it the force balk, usually against a left-handed pitcher. And we put that on, the guy on third gets a pretty good lead. <clears throat> the runner on first, you know, as soon as the pitcher goes up, you know, starts up into a stretch, the runner on first takes off. <clears throat> now, some people taught the runner to fall down. So now the pitcher you know, throws the first base, and as he throws the first, the guy in third steals home. So double steal, I mean, the fourth, they call it a force ball because a lot of times a pitcher will see him go, panic, and balk. What's your communication? Defense, if, you're defense, what's that? if you're on yeah. defense, what's your communication to your pitcher if they see that early steal or that force balk? Well, first guy that sees him go, like the first man, go yell, step off. Don't yell, there he goes, because that makes more of a panic. Just say, step off, step off. So the only the defense for it is to step off, check the guy at third, and if he's not running harm, get the ball right to the second baseman who comes straight into the in toward the pitcher. That closes the gap, shortens the gap between the runner and first base. So now the second baseman has the ball and he's running back to first, and the first baseman should close the gap a little bit toward him so he can make the quick out. And uh, so that that's that's the defense against the force balk. But again, the force balk is called a force balk because they're trying to make the pitcher balk. You don't really see it against a right-handed pitcher. It is a little different situation, but basically against a left-handed pitcher, you know, it's a force balk. So that, that's the offense. Yeah. Um, what, do, you, do you use delayed steel at all with the double? I used to use a lot. Yeah, I love the delayed steel. But, you know, you have to practice it. And to practice it, we talked about that before, the runner at first, instead of crossing over, takes as long as about three slide steps, maybe four. 
and he's gaining ground towards second base. You're actually stealing on a second baseman and a shortstop, whoever's covering. And most second baseman and shortstops, you know, they'll peek in as the pitch delivers is delivered home. It peeks at the runner. He's not crossing over. They figure he's not stealing. So you take a couple of three slide steps, maybe four, and uh, you steal on an infielder. And all of a sudden, they, they drop the head. You know, when I coach third, I'd watch him. If they drop the head, we can double steal against them or a, a delayed steal against them. And the thing is, the defense for the infielders is if the runner on first and you don't think he's going, you should just take two or three steps towards second when the ball gets by the hitter in case he is going. But the runner intention is to beat the infielder to the base. Now, all of a sudden, that guy catches it. He, double, he delayed steals. The catcher comes up, and there's no one at the base. So he, he kind of stops his arm a little bit. And if he continue, continues it, it's going to be like a high throw or a bad throw to second base. So that's, that's a good offense against it first and third also, the delayed steal at first. Yeah. I'm, I wonder why, and I know the bases are bigger now, so Major League Baseball is stealing more. But with the movement back, you know, they had the, I guess for the last few years when the shift was on, our second basemen weren't traditional second basemen. Now we're getting a little bit more back to that. Um, but with second basemen not being tutored on this stuff, why we don't see delayed steals more. And we did that in our tournament. I, I love it. It's it's my favorite to do because you don't yeah. have to be fast to do it. And anytime I see that second baseman that's lazy, um, you know, that's covering or a shortstop where they, they don't pinch middle or they even we, – we had one young man, and I won't name the name of the team, but this was a college-bound – these were college-bound teams – he would turn his back, you know, creep in and wants to pitch him. Rather than pinch, he would go the opposite direction, turn his back almost to the infield and look whatever he was looking at in the outfield. And we stole on him three times. Um, yeah. Or, uh, the, the situation you're talking about with the catcher, first time he sailed it, just threw through. Nobody was there. Second time he d- double, triple pumped and, and sailed it. And uh, third time they just had an internal fight <laughs> on the field about wake up, play the games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love the delayed steal. It's so it's 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 unorthodox, but it's it's fundamental. Well, you got to practice it. Like I said, we used to you know it's, it's like three or four slide steps and see how much ground you can gain. Now the, the catcher will probably see you go, but it's the infielder that you're stealing on. So when the infielder doesn't react, doesn't walk toward the base after the ball's by the hitter, now it's a race to the base. Yeah, now the infielder's got to catch the ball. The catcher's got to hit a moving target. And it's a great play. It's a better play with two outs because. But less than two outs, the infielders are playing closer to the base for a double play situation. So two outs is probably the best time to do it, but it can be done with one out or two outs also. I mean, no outs or one out, but two outs is the best scenario because of they're playing deeper and farther away from the base to start with. So you got a better chance of beating them to the base. But again, you have to practice it. And we used to practice all the time. I mean, you know, before we started BP and all that kind of stuff, we'd have all the players line up on first baseline or third baseline. That was the base. Time get your lead. We'd have a fake pitcher out there, you know, once maybe throw the first and step in a dive back or, you know, pretend you're on second, it's two steps and dive back or you put down hit and run or, you know, steal or delayed steal. So you practice all the steals and get your sprints in at the same time. But again, practice is what makes it good. And in perfect practice is more important than long practices. You practice something that's game situation and stuff you're going to actually use in a game. But that was, you know, one thing that we use a lot in, you know, I, I think I said once before about uh, running the bases and taking a turn a second. We used to have, I call it the baseball 60. We did it instructionally quite a bit. You start with a runner on first. The runner starts on first with left foot on first base. He runs around second base and right through third base. So from the time he starts to the time he hits third base, we time him. 
We always gave him three, three chances. And the third chance was a little quicker because he got that route near the angle before second and after second, the same. And that gave him, you know, shorter distance overall. And, but again, it's something you got to practice and practice full speed. And so you would, you would take them, they, their foot would be on the first base bag or would they have any type of lead? Take me no, back. just put it on the base because everybody starts in the same place. So you can compare, you know, times. So they all start in the same distance. So like I said, it's a baseball 60 because it's 30 yards, 30 yards. And, uh, but it's baseball speed, not just straightaway speed. Yeah. As opposed to the traditional 60, they put them on a line and run them straight yeah. through uh, baseball. Right. Now, nowadays they're afraid of do it because they're afraid someone's going to pull a hamstring. But <laughs> the reason <laughs> they pull hamstrings is they don't run enough. And again, that that was just a, it's a conditioning drill as well as a uh, instructional drill. What what are some taking you back to the instructional league? What were some other things that you emphasized during your instructional league time? Well, what we did a lot we played pepper. I mean, pepper is a game you never see anymore. It's a miniature baseball game. It's bat control. It's fielding ground ball control. It's you know throwing the ball over the plate. You know, and pitch a, a good pepper game. You have like three fielders. They're about maybe six feet, eight feet apart. And a hitter who's probably maybe 20 feet, maybe 15 feet, whatever. And he wants to hit a ball to the guy on the left, the next ball to the guy in the middle, next ball to the guy on the right. It just keeps going back and forth. And then sometimes we put a guy deep, and once in a while we let him hit one deep. But it controls bat speed. And it controls uh, you know, control bat control. He controls the head of the bat, so to speak. And it's just like a miniature baseball. But now, you know, we talk about guys hitting against a shift. Well, they don't play pepper. There's a lot of big league players out there right couldn't play pepper because they can't control the head of the bat. They just swing hard, or, you know, full swing, pull off, everything, every time. And it's a game. We, we, used to, we used to play pepper 15 minutes every day before we started. We used to throw 15 minutes before we started. Just play catch. Like I said, one of the other podcasts that, you know, when I coached in the, my first year in a big league uh, camp, George Bamberger was a manager. He made everybody throw 15 minutes every day. Not 14 minutes, but 15 minutes. Start at 60 feet, probably end up at 90 feet, but just exercise your arm. And at that time, 1982, you can look it up. The New York Mets, I think they had maybe one guy in a DL all year, one pitcher. I might be wrong, but it's, it, there, there weren't many. I know one thing, because I was coaching AAA, and there was very few pitches that we sent to the big leagues because of injuries. So it's just a matter of conditioning your arm. I don't think the players condition your arm enough anymore. Uh, after you condition it, then you strengthen it. You strengthen it with long toss. So, you know, Ben Berger taught me something then, and I learned a lot from a lot of people, and I learned that. So every time I had a team, I always played catch for 15 minutes. Yeah. And then so throw for, you know, condition your arm for 15, pepper for 15. When would you put the long toss in? Would that be after after the – Arm conditioning or part of it? Yeah, after, after the arm conditioning. We had the outfield so one hopped each other. The infielders, you know, you know, threw from like short, deep shortstop and stuff like that. But we do it every day. I mean, sometimes you go to 12 minutes. But basically, you know, people say, well, it wastes of time. Well, no, you, you're conditioning your players so they don't get hurt. The only way you're going to get better is to play. If you get hurt, you can't play, so you can't get better. I like that. And then pepper, and then obviously you would do base running every day. That, that's- yeah, we, the, you know, that's how we would do our conditioning. It's base running. And uh Sometimes you go, you know, on home plate and you hit a double. So you run second base. Then you lead off second base, you're going to score. Next time you're going to, you know, beat out infield hits. So you run through the base, you know, turn in foul territory and go back. And you go lead off first base and you'll go. You take off, you hit, you know, a single to right field or center field. You got to go to third base. You get into your route, go around second base and go into third base. Then we probably, you know, off third base, we do a, you know, lead, a walking lead. So you're on, you got a contact play on. So you walk and lead, 
you lean toward home plate, and then boom, you go in contact. And, you know, sometimes you walk in between a base. Like we say you run at first base and you walk to second, and then you go second to home. You might walk home, then hit a double, walk to third, then put the contact play on. So we go around the bases probably five or six times altogether. And then with the last one, it was inside a park home run, and everybody cheers like hell for the guy to hit the inside of park home run. It was, it was a lot of fun, but they're getting conditioned while they're having fun, and they're learning how to run the bases Yeah, as against just running sprints. I'm with you 100% on that. You And I thought about you a lot during our last tournament because you would have been proud at some of the – I think uh, we, we, we took a ton from the podcast. Uh, people – and we videotaped it too. I'll share it with you. We did the contact play. We did a lot yeah. of things we chat about on the podcast. So um, we did a lot of things that we got to get better at too, though. Don't get, don't get me wrong. No, um, it's a tough game. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, especially for young kids, young kids mm-hmm. in general, young kids playing up with it. How did you, and again, I'm getting a little off the question, but I think this is important for our audience. How did you take batting practice on the field? What was, you know, talk through the methodology of that. You weren't just well, swinging. Batting practice, yeah, batting practice was batting practice, was infield practice, outfield practice, and base running practice. It wasn't just batting practice. When I managed in the minor leagues, uh, I had a coach. One year had no coaches. Another year had one coach. Another year had pitching coach and another coach. So, we, I used to throw early batting practice. I never threw it during regular batting practice because I wanted to coach somebody, whether the hitters, sometimes I go out there with the uh, infielders, sometimes I go out there with the outfielders. But I had pitchers hitting fungos, one catching and one hitting on each side. They hit, you know, got on the left side, third base side, hit the shortstop and the first baseman. The pitchers on the right side would hit the second baseman and third baseman. And we'd have somebody throw to first base all the time. And if they weren't throwing to first, they would throw, throw to second without guys getting hurt, you know, in between. But so if the shortstop's on the first, third baseman throw the second. A lot of times we came out there before batting practice and just had, we call it mass infield drill. And we had like, you know, three inf- three uh, hitting hitting guys. And the third baseman throw like 10 to first, shortstop would throw 10 to second, making double plays. And the second baseman throw back into the, the hitter. And then we switched the shortstop throw to first, second baseman, or third baseman throw to second. And, and so forth. The first baseman would come in, you know, feel in a bunt and throw home. But we would practice all the different situations for infielders and without a hitter hitting. But sometimes you don't have time to do that. Or, you know, we used to do that in Kansas City. We did that before BP even started. And it was a great drill and they get good workout besides, but they loved it because they got all the ground balls out of the way without worrying about a, a hitter hitting the ball and, and drilling it. Yeah. But once and- the game started, you know, once, once the uh, batting practice started, We'd have you take balls off the bat live. And I had the infielders move up in the grass and work on getting a jump on the ball. I don't, you know, they might not feel them all, but at least going to get a jump and start in the right direction when the ball is hit. And the outfielders, his most important outfielders during batting practice, takes ball, take balls off the bat where they get a jump on the ball because you can hit a fungo, you can hit outfield fungos all you want, fly balls, but it's not the same as a ball off the bat. Sure. And uh, same thing with ground balls. I mean, I when I was outfield coach with the Dodgers, I used to just hit ground balls to the outfielders. I'd hit like five to the left, five at them, five to the right. They'd throw a ball back to me one hop, or sometimes I'd throw the ball to second base on one hop, or sometimes third base on one hop. But, you know, batting practice, and then we got base running practice. I mean, I used to uh, divide the players into like four groups. One group's hitting, one group's on second, one group's on third, and one group's uh, you know, in the field. And they just rotate around. So you're on second base for a whole group react like we talked before about a fly ball to center field nobody out 
fly ball deep right, nobody out, fly ball, you know, which is maybe catchable, maybe not catchable, with uh, no outs, you tag up, stuff like that. So in ground balls, the infield, you know, you go when you go to third, when you stay at second. But it's just something to do it. But as a manager, I wanted to be out there. I'll be working on the base runs, make sure they're doing it right. Make sure the infielders are doing it right. And the, but the pitchers, which gives them two more guys to get out of the outfield, getting away of the outfielders, gives them something to do. And a lot of, some of the pitchers are really good at hitting fungos. Some were better than others. Some didn't really like it, but I made them do it because I think it was good for them. But everybody was doing something all the time. And the most important thing when you organize a workout is get everybody doing something all the time. When people are standing around, it's no good. Just like PFP. I can't stand when I see 15 pitchers on the mound taking one at a time, waiting, you know, waiting for their turn. Well, you know, you know, talking to a guy, you know, just not paying attention. So you got to make every, you know, make your drills so everybody's doing something all the time. Now you talked about mass infield and you, you mentioned base running as a good way to condition. I always found that the best way to condition your legs as an infielder and an outfielder is to take ground balls like that. Um, was that a form of conditioning as well? For the infielders? No doubt. The most important or easiest way to get in shape is field ground balls. I can tell you a story. I was out in Oakland. Mike Piazza was on a team. Mike got hurt. Actually hurt his shoulder sliding into third base, diving, matter of fact. But anyway, he was on a DL. He's sitting on a bench, and he's like, uh, I said, Mike, when the hell are you going to play again? He said, well, I don't know. Billy Bean said, when I can throw again. I said, well, you couldn't throw before you got hurt. I told Billy that. I said, he was smart catcher. He didn't have a good arm before he got hurt. But, you know, he's hitting balls off the windows in center field. And he's on a disabled list. And we need somebody in the middle of the lineup. So, anyway, so he said, well, I got to get in shape. So, I said, I'll get you in shape. Get your catcher's glove and get out there shortstop. So, he went out there. And I hit him ground balls. Hit one to his left. Or two to his left. Two to his right. Two at him. And just kept moving back and forth. After about 15 ground balls, he said, Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm sucking wind. I see. I told you it's tough. But... Feeling a ground ball is the best conditioner in baseball. Yeah. In the old days, you know, pitchers used to do pickups, which is just, you know, they flip the ball left, flip the, flip the ball right, flip the ball at them, and they're moving or shuffling their feet, and it's a conditioner. Plus, sure. it's a little bit of a coordination thing. But you never see that anymore. I mean, it's a strengthening your legs. It's a conditioning thing. And that's how you do it. And that's how you get guys in shape. But somebody hurt their back one time, so they can't do it. They don't do it anymore. So they go in and run on a treadmill inside, which is useless. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there were, we treat our players so uh, such a fragile way now, and ironically, they're getting hurt because of it. With and uh, if you just got back to fundamental baseball, as you're describing, guys would be in condition; they wouldn't even know they're conditioning. Um, so, well, what, what else? What else you want to share with the audience today? We kept you on for almost an hour here today. Um, we hit the hit a couple of topics they wanted. What did you see this week in baseball when you were out there watching that? Maybe caught your eye and is worth addressing. Well, nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, you know, some teams are playing well. Some teams, you know, I, I feel bad for Miami. They started like they're 10 games over 500, you know, a week and a half ago. And now they're like two games over. They're like one and nine or something. And, you know, a lot of people rooting for them. A lot of people rooting for Cincinnati. You know, they got a great team. They got great pitching into the game for sure. But they've made a big comeback. And it's good to see some of these younger teams taking advantage of new rules where they're, they're stealing bases. They're, you know, taking extra bases. And, uh, you know, the, the premise is, Always when you coach is if you don't beat yourself, you're going to beat the other team. So if you eliminate mental errors, there's going to be physical errors. It's going to happen. But mental errors or lack of uh, aggressiveness or lack of you know knowledge of the game, you know, you, you know, trying to take an extra base when you're down by three runs or getting picked off when you're down by two or three runs. I mean, that's just beating yourself. So as a coach, I think 
Just what can you do to help your team win and just perfect the plays you have? And like you said before, it's not trickery. It's execution. So yeah. like bunt plays to me, you have one bunt plays and execute it every time. And if it's a good bunt. It's going to be a sacrifice. A bad bunt, you're going to get a force out. That's it. It's like a split Novocaine. You hit the one spot and it does its job for right. you. Well, I, I think it was great this week. We had uh, this our 234th episode here. Um, what, what what can we hope for next week? Or you want to tease the audience a little bit, some things that you may want to talk about next week to entice them to ask questions on a certain topic? Well, we can talk about rundowns. And then I think uh, you got more questions from your audience. I appreciate them you know, watching or listening to us and maybe learning something. I mean, that's how I learned. I learned from guys who are smarter than me and more experienced than me and older than me. And uh, I think I've been fortunate to play for a lot of great coaches and, uh, you know, starting with George Kissel and with the Cardinals. And, but I had a lot of other good coaches also and managers. And I used to write notes all the time. Like, you know, I remember George Kissel one time we're in a dugout in St. Pete just signed. There's about five of us in the dugout and we're all like middle infielders. So he looks down the dugout and he goes, okay, uh, you, you're a third baseman. Schaefer, you're a shortstop. You, you're your second baseman, maybe shortstop, probably third base. So afterwards, I said, George, how'd you know? He said, well, I looked down and I saw your ankles. You got fat ankles. You got no mobility. You're going to be a third baseman. You had skinny ankles. You had a little, I could see you had a little range, a little you know, quickness. So you're a shortstop. So I'm just, I mean, this guy was a genius. But just little things like that, you learn about it and so forth. But then you work at it and get better at it. No, and I think that's a great message to end on too, because I see that missing in our game today at the at the highest levels. That sense of reverence for people who've done it before you. We have, you know, the title of our network, Real Voices of the Game. We have tons of people on our network that are hosts, like yourself, Jim Cott. We just had Jim Rooney. Guys that baseball needs to rely upon to to kind of swing the mm-hmm. pendulum back. So I'm glad you give us you know an hour plus a week here and all of our messages in between. And I, I've read your writing that you do, and it's phenomenal. Um, I, I love listening to you and being a part of your your podcast as your co-host or producer. But, um, you know, you've shared some of your writings with me, and it's just phenomenal. Has, has Kissel ever written a book? Somebody said he did. I never got it. I wrote my own book. You know, I had a lot of notes from him and everything. But, uh, you know, you talk about the one thing that bothers me more than anything else about, you know, baseball has been good to me. I've been fortunate to get where I am, uh, starting as a high school coach and work my way up. But, uh I would just hope that the owners and the general managers would learn from history. I mean, these guys threw like 300 innings. They threw 170 pitches sometimes. And now it's like they're so afraid of getting somebody hurt that nobody get, they don't get better like they used to. But, you know, I think it was it uh, Bob Gibson had 32 complete games one year. Uh, you might not have 32 complaints, complete games in two seasons anymore. But they're so protective of pitchers and even players now, it's like, you know, let the guys play. But they spend so much time doing other things like the weight room and stuff like that that takes away the baseball strength and baseball part of it. And that's what bothers me more than anything else. I think you told me there's 300 players on an IL. That's like 10 a team. You know, oh. how much, you know how much money the owners spend for 10 guys being on an IL? It's unbelievable. So you you would think they'd take a look and say, you know, we're doing something wrong. Let's get rid of some of these guys. Let's bring in baseball guys that – yeah, you know, like for pitchers running, for instance. Like we used to have that football toss. You know, pitching coach would throw it to the pitchers. They they stretch stretch your legs out. They run probably, I don't know, maybe fifteen back and forth, trying to catch, you know, catch a throw from the pitching coach. It was fun. Plus they got conditioned without with, while they're having fun. You don't see that anymore. I mean, it's like pickups. You don't see that anymore. I mean it's a very, you know, positive way of getting better. 
Yeah. And I, I wrote about this on Facebook. I got a question from our audience about, and it was, a, they were joking, but they said that since they've started listening to the podcast and they complimented all you guys on, on the work you do, that they, that he blames us for not him, not being able to watch baseball anymore. Cause he sees it with a critical eye now. And uh, of course yeah. he, he was put, he was laughing afterwards, but um, you know, I, I, I warned him. I said, when you're watching the game, there's the, the people who are running the game, think there's a singular data point or a level of data that can solve what they deem as a puzzle and just f- put baseball in this little, little, little bubble. And baseball is a mystery. Every pitch, every at bat, every game, every ground ball. Um, th- there's, there's, there's more, it takes the intuitive baseball guy. It takes the experience in order to solve that mystery of how to win a game and how to, how to complete a game and how to play the game the right way. So I encourage our audience, listen to the fa- read the Facebook post on that. Um, gives you a way you can watch the game now with a critical eye without being indoctrinated into what's going on out there and how to use it. You know, the sad thing about it, Dave, is that there's a lot of good baseball players, baseball guys still left. A lot of good baseball guys got fired or so forth. But the ones who are still left, if they say what they really think, they get fired. I talked to a couple of announcers, really good announcers, and I said, how can can you promote this launch angle and this spin rate and all that kind of stuff? Why don't you just say – you know, I mean, launch angle is the worst thing that happens to hitters. I mean, some guys have a launch angle as they get older. They're going to work on that a little bit. But for young kids to work on a launch angle, trying to hit fly balls, it doesn't make any sense. But a lot of good baseball guys are still in baseball. They're afraid to say what they really believe because they'll get fired. And yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. You'd think that, you know, there's, you know, some of these new GMs are not real baseball guys. We let the baseball people control it and uh, <clears throat> do what worked in the, in the past. And it worked real good in the past. Yeah. Well, there's there's no amount of data about the past. I can tell you the future. It's only baseball experience that can help you take the past and build it into the future. So I agree with you 110 percent on that. And that's why we're doing what we're doing here on our, our podcast. We're trying to swing the pendulum back. We're going to keep banging the drum with with truth. Um, and, and our audience always warns. They warn me to warn them every time that none of our shows embrace uh, the some of the myths, truths, and lies that are out there in baseball. So as you listen to our shows, sit back, buckle up, and prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths that are out there. So, but um, Bob, I love you. I love doing your show with you every week. I tell you, I tell you every time it makes me smarter. I have to do as much or more homework for this show than any other. And I always get po- I always get post work doing it because I write five or six things down that I'm not sure about that I go look up. So I appreciate you you making me smarter as a baseball guy. I'm 50 years old and I'm still working at it. Well, I appreciate that. I'm 79. I'm still learning too. <laughs> but I love it. I know one thing: the stuff I learned 50 years ago will work. And uh, I just wish that more people would look back at history and say, "Hey, you know, let's do something they did before to keep guys healthy." And and the most important thing is to stay healthy because the most important thing to get better, you got to play. And if you're hurt, you can't play. But this morning, I read somebody pulled a groin the other day. I mean, every morning you get up and you see the new injuries, or most of them are muscle injuries, which can be avoided if they train right. But they don't train right. They they do stuff that is not baseball related, and next thing you know, they blow something out, and it's really unfortunate. It's a it's a supplement to, to see if they can you know uh, quick fix it. I guess is the best way to do it. And their oblique injuries. I don't remember ever having an oblique injury in my time. Maybe I didn't swing the bat hard, but uh, all well, these oblique injuries and like you said, groin injuries, avoidable if you're out there doing the baseball movements. <laughs> Well, somebody invented a medicine ball, which, you know, throw the ball sideways, it weighs on 10 pounds or whatever. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, oblique injuries have happened. So there's a lot of ways that people get hurt in a weight room that tire their 
fatigue their muscles, which cause injuries when you get on the field. And, you know, doing some of the exercises they do, to me, have nothing to do with hitting a baseball or throwing a baseball. But it makes them stronger. They feel stronger, but they get hurt. And that's – got to just somehow avoid injuries that are happening. And if you hurt yourself, that's not good. You're going to get hit with a ball or you're going to do certain things, get injured. But when you hurt yourself, like pulling muscles or doing like obliques and stuff like that, that's not from swinging a bat. It shows up from swinging a bat. But you fatigue that muscle somewhere before that, before that, you know, swinging a bat – cause it to break. Oh, I agree. I, I think, and on that note, uh, we touched a little bit of that on our, our show before, uh, right before this with Jim Rooney with Toe the Rubber, and I'm glad you hit on that. It's a great great place to segue um, and, and close out our show. Next week, audience, please send questions. Uh, Bob is Bob is not prepared for this. I don't give him the questions before I just hit him, so this is him off the top of his head with all of his baseball experience, just to prove our point that, uh, you know, to, to, to the type of baseball guy he is. So he's been preparing for this, as he said, for 79 years. So there's nothing you can throw at him that's going to stump him. So I, uh, I say I encourage you to send, send our stuff into our email here, our Facebook, Instagram. And also uh, we'll, we'll hit on rundowns next week, as we mentioned as well. So, Bob, episode 234 in the books right now are 40,000 subscribers. Thanks so much. 72 countries. So you're global, Bob. Grassroots, MLB front offices, they're all listening out there. Um, thank you again for the effort you give to the show and to our network and look forward to next week. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you.